Well, hello, friends, and welcome to episode two of the Grow Deeper podcast. My name is Ross Furio. I'm joined by Mike Holly. We are a couple of the pastors at Bluff Park UMC, and we are just, we're so glad that you joined us for episode two. Yeah, thank you for being here. And we're going to continue with the main theme of our podcast here at Grow Deeper, and that is to focus on how we can grow. You know, we want to grow. We want to change. We we want to become better. And I think God really wants that for us as well. So our goal here, friends, is to just spend some time talking, uh, sharing, exploring ways that we can focus on growth. You know, we're going to look at questions that we all have, issues that we face in life, ideas, scriptures, all related to how we can grow deeper in faith and how we can be individuals and churches and communities. Right, a people, yeah. yeah. That are doing this together, that are growing or at least going on the journey of growth. So we thought that a good place for us to start after kind of casting the framework last episode would be our own lives and our own stories and seasons of change that we can reflect on and periods or times in our life where we seem to experience growth and to tell our stories a little bit with the hope that maybe our story will collide or intersect with your story on some front. Right. Oh, yeah. And, and think about it in terms of when you get to know somebody, you really want to know their story. You want to know how they're wired, what their experiences have been. It kind of helps you understand who they are. Uh, it gives you sort of a sense of how they may react to you in the future. And so, you know, knowing each other's stories is part of knowing who each other truly are. And we want you to know who we truly are. So we decided to... Uh, <laughs> To tell our stories. And so if you listen last week, if you listen to the last episode, then you know that one of the things that we commented on is that, you know, most folks, when they look back on their life and, and with the lens that we've spent the last week looking back on our lives and thinking about growth and change and, and seasons of renewal, they find that most of the time in their life, growth is sparked by either pain, love, or stillness. So that was kind of how we thought about this episode. When were times in our own life when we experienced either stillness or something that hurt, something that was painful, or an experience of great overwhelming love, and how did that serve as a catalyst for growth? And then, of course, another layer to that is, were we open to that growth in that season, or were we closed off to that growth until it happened by force, right? Right. I think about it in terms of how if I'm honest with myself, how many times have I actually chosen to grow or to change when I have been on autopilot, cruise control? You know, things are just sailing along. Usually when things are good, you just kind of, you know, it's like a car going down the hill. You just let it ride. Yeah. You put it on cruise control, keep it between the lines exactly. and, and spit out your sunflower seeds, right? Right. But then we all experience those times that, you know, you've called a catalyst, times in which we are either invited to change by the circumstances around us, or we are forced to change because there is no other option but to adapt and grow. Yeah, so I guess, I guess I'll go first, right? So we're, we both found a story in our life where we feel like stillness at least played a role. And I think it'd be good to start with that one because I feel like for most people that feels like the most elusive way. That, that we can spark growth, right? I agree. Everyone's experienced something of great love, right? Everyone has experienced loss in their life. 
But I wonder if when you hear the word stillness, you wonder, well, what, what does that even mean? How in the world can stillness lead to growth? And, you know, we both spent times around the same age, right? Because it was pre-seminary for you and it was during seminary for me, yep. where we were forced into a season of, of some sort of isolation that led us to lean into this this mysterious spirit-filled thing that I guess we're going to call stillness. Right. Yeah, we both went through it at a formative age uh, where we were sort of leaving uh, the life that we had before and thinking about what was next and, you know, having an intentional time to really focus on what gifts do I have? What life do I want to choose? What life do I want to live? And so the stillness sort of opened the time up for us to really consider those deep questions. Yeah. So for me, I mean, I I grew up in Birmingham. I went to Birmingham Southern College for undergrad. The one reason I didn't want to go to Birmingham Southern was because it was in Birmingham. And so when I decided to go to seminary, it quickly became clear to me that this was my chance to go live somewhere else because I knew I wanted to come back to North Alabama and serve a church here and, and live my life here. So me and Madison decided that Dallas would be a really fun place to go live for a few years. The kicker was Madison, my wife, was finishing up, fiance at the time, was finishing up grad school in Auburn my whole first year of seminary. So we spent our year engaged living apart. I, in turn, went to Dallas and started a a new life there. I, I didn't know anyone moving there. I was moving to seminary and I felt confident about that decision, but There's always a sense of uneasiness that comes with a big life jump like that. And to be totally honest, I just found myself isolated. On top of that, seminary is a time in life where everything you believe is challenged and is pushed uh, by professors and by fellow students, right? You're forced to see things in a new way, and that can be very uncomfortable. And so I was in the midst of that process that really nails you down your first year. I mean, it it really applies some pressure to you spiritually and theologically your first year. And I didn't have anyone that I was going home to. I mean, I I managed to make some friends on the weekends, but during the week especially, it was go to class, read my books, write my papers, and then go back to a 400-square-foot apartment where I didn't have a TV. Uh, And I mean, and I ended up spending a lot of time in prayer. And, and just in stillness. Uh, and, and it totally changed who I was. Ross unplugged. That's right. That's exactly what it was. Um, and I had never experienced anything like that before. I mean, when I was in college, I lived with three or four guys all the time. I mean, my apartment was always loud. There was always something going on. I never really had to face any doubts or questions that I had. Uh, but Dallas that first year was totally different. If I heard something in class that really got got my brain turning and asking questions, right? When I went home, I I didn't turn it off. I I just kept going, which which led to me spending a lot of time reflecting and in stillness and exper- uh, uh, experimenting with meditation and breath work, um, inviting God into my life and seeing what came of that. Um, so yeah. I would say that I was open to it, even though I didn't see it coming, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. So w- was it uncomfortable at first to be 
in stillness, you know, kind of like a new it was, awkward it, thing. It, it felt like I was exposed. I, I think that would be, I felt vulnerable. Which is kind of funny because you're alone. Right, right. But it, it almost felt like there was nowhere to hide. Yeah. And, and it made me realize how much time I had spent in my life running away from some tough, uncomfortable questions that right. I had always had, right? These, these things that were popping up weren't things that I'd never thought about before necessarily. Yeah. It was just always stuff that I never really had to face. That's deep. That's deep. And, and over time, uh, it sounds like it became really rewarding. And productive. Well, it was extremely fulfilling, right? And it strengthened my call to ministry. Uh, What first started out as leading me down a path of maybe questioning or doubting my vocation, having some imposter syndrome, right? Which I'm sure that we've all felt in some season of our life. Mm -hmm. But through through the stillness and the intentionality of just sitting with the doubt and the discomfort came really a renewed idea of who I felt like God was calling me to be. Yeah. And, and that's one of the things I think is kind of key about uh, stillness is that really opens us up to self-exploration and that time to be honest with ourselves. Because, you know, it, you mentioned doubt. Like if we, if we have doubts and we never deal with them, they're always lurking there beneath the surface. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, we, we're afraid of learning the truth about ourselves, but the, the, the thing is, is that once we learn the truth about ourselves, we can grow, we can change, you know? And, and if you, if you do in fact deal with your doubts, then you'll know, and you can grow from that. And it won't be that kind of lurking, um, insecurity in your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's almost, it's almost like when you give yourself space and give yourself permission to, to explore the doubt you're able to work through that initial fight or flight response. Mm-hmm. Because I think that's what a lot of us are hit with when we realize that maybe something isn't the way we've always understood it to be. We get hit with a fight or flight response, right? Either I need to push back really, really hard against this and deny it, or I just need to run away. I don't need to ask that question because mm-hmm. I don't know the answer to it and not knowing the answer to it makes me uncomfortable. Right. And I mean, the best, the best way for us to understand how Christ feels about doubt is Thomas. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, look, look at the way Thomas is accepted by Jesus. When it seems like everyone else around him is looking down upon him for his unwillingness to believe, his inability to believe, Christ says, no, take, take what you need. Come spend time with me. Touch me mm-hmm. in, until you understand what has happened and, and who I am. Right. So uh, I had a, a similar experience with, with stillness, uh, as you mentioned, and it was, for me, uh, a summer. Uh, experience. I worked at um, the headquarters of the southeastern jurisdiction of the United Methodist Church. No big called, deal. No big deal. Yeah. It sounds a lot bigger and better <laughs> than it is. Uh, Lake Junaluska, North Carolina, near Waynesville, uh, North Carolina, west of Asheville, just God's beautiful country out there. And, um, you know, one of the things that I always uh, wrestled with when I was there is that I was hired to do ministry with kids who were there for the summer or kids from the community, I was there to basically lead youth ministry for all those kids. And the whole area of Lake Janaluska is, is pretty much a no kid zone. You know, it, it's like no skateboarding, 
no bike riding, no having fun. There's, Don't pick yeah, the flowers. There, I remember going there on youth trips, and there are definitely rules that they tell you on the front end, and you better not break them. You better not. And so <laughs> I was always, always like right up against the line, uh, about to break a rule, but then not going through with it. Uh, but anyway, um, when I moved there, you know, I went from high school to college. I was always around people, doing things, active. I worked in a church when I was in college for three years. And so, you know, when I was uh, having a weekend, I was either at a football game or basketball game and then going to church and doing youth ministry all weekend. So I was just on a fast-paced life train at that point. And I was hired to go work at Lake Junaluska. And when I got there, I ended up moving into a three-story building with a ton of college students or recent graduates who were working for the summer. Mm -hmm. And we all had uh, either separate rooms or like roommates. It was just two to, or one person in a, in a room. And there was one TV in the common room uh, at the bottom floor of the house. Nowhere else was there anything. Um, and you had this, you know, two mile track around the lake. You know, you could run, you could walk, no skateboarding, no, no having fun <laughs> at all. Um, and so I spent a lot of time that summer um, either alone, I was in one of the single rooms, uh, or running, walking outside on the track. I would get away uh, when I wasn't on uh, duty at the, the youth center, and I would go up to the Blue Ridge Parkway. Beautiful, beautiful road, lots of hiking up there, and I would be by myself a lot. And during that time, sort of like your story, I was able to sort of really get into my thoughts about, mm. you know, who am I? You know, why am I doing this ministry thing? And what, what do I really want out of all this? And I've mentioned before in some sermons that I really didn't see myself becoming a, a pastor, an elder who went from church to church to church. I kind of saw myself either as being a lifelong youth director or even a pastoral counselor, somebody who uh, does uh, counseling right. uh, full time for people. And it was really sort of in that time that I started to become a little bit more, um, you know, open and <laughs> receptive through the stillness, through kind of being real with myself about uh, who I was and what my calling was. Yeah, it's almost like the stillness will soften you a little bit, right? It, I it, think so. It begins to to strip away a shell that we may have built up. I mean, I'm just that I'm I'm hearing us both use language like that. Yeah, I mean, you think about. Uh, something when you're cooking something or when you're, um, you know, immersing something in water, it kind of softens, it kind of opens up, it kind of, you know, allows some kind of transformation to happen. And, uh, you know, for me, being still, being alone, uh, being on a hike where there was nothing but trees and birds and, and my own thoughts uh, really, you know, forced me to kind of allow those thoughts when they popped up in my head to deal with them instead of, you know, if you're with friends or you're watching uh, TV or you're busy studying for something, you might have a thought, but you don't have the time to deal with it, right? You're, you're really in the midst of trying to put that thought away so that you can focus on the task at hand. But when you're alone and you're open and you're receptive and aware of your thoughts and you can actually live into them, something I think can happen. Yeah, it seems like both of us experienced a season where because we leaned into stillness, the things that we had always been aware of, we actually spent some time reflecting on them. And, yeah. and then it led to to integrate. I mean, it led to change. It led to transformation. It led to growth. It led to actually integrating some of those things that we were aware of and had spent some time processing. 
I agree. And, and I think that even though the stillness opened up uh, myself and, and you uh, to really transformative thoughts, ideas, or even plans or goals, I think too, it takes practice to really get that honest with yourself. It's not like in one summer, I got everything about mm-hmm. my life and who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it really took time uh, to, to develop that skill. And I'm not saying that I'm really still good at it. I think that life, as it changes, we'll talk a little bit more about that later, but life as it changes adds more to your plate uh, there's more complexity, right. and you really have to force, you know, time into your schedule uh, to make these things happen. Yeah, you have to make time for stillness. I mean, that that was kind of my next thing. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of you are listening to this saying, "Well, that's great, Mike and Ross, but I have a full time job. I have two kids. I have a spouse. I, you know, I have hob. I don't. I don't have time to go sit in an apartment by myself and find my and find who God wants me to be. Yeah. I don't know? have the time to just get in the car and go up to the Blue Ridge Parkway and. But I do around. think I do think you have time to spend five minutes focusing on your breath every morning and and Absolutely. make that a habit and find pockets of stillness in your life and see what what kind of of un- discomfort and uh, new awarenesses of who God may be calling you to be what that time will open up. Yeah, and I think that you can you can find AM or PM time. Uh, and what I what I mean by that is there is going to be time in your household where everybody else is occupied, whether it be, you know, in the morning getting ready for work or school, or maybe they're not up yet, you know, maybe they're still asleep and getting up a little early, mm-hmm. open up the Bible, you know, doing some meditation, um, doing a devotional, or even at night, you know, um, if you're not a morning person, maybe you're a night owl. And there's a time in the evening where kids go to bed or, you know, people are working on homework for the next day where maybe you can find some some place to be alone. And it, and if it's not in a house, get out and walk. Mm-hmm. We found out that walking is still possible during that last pandemic. Yeah, stillness doesn't actually mean sitting in one place and being still. It means bringing your your thoughts and your emotions to a place of stillness to where the you you lose the feeling that the world is moving quickly around you and everything slows down a little bit and you're able to actually grasp some of those thoughts that are racing through your head. I think it's like being present with yourself, Mm. you know, stillness. You think about, um, how we, we learn to communicate well with someone else. Um, you don't look at your phone, you know, you don't, uh, look at the TV over their shoulder at the restaurant. You look them right in the eye and you listen to what they're saying. Mm -hmm. Uh, you're being present and aware of what they're, what they're saying. And I think the same thing is for yourself, stillness, stillness with yourself. And that same way that you talk about being, you know, present with another person, being present with yourself yeah. and also being present with God. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And looking, um, at God, looking, uh, for God, uh, looking at God within you, all those things are part of how we can be present with God, even though not like Thomas, we can't look at his, at his scars, but we can meditate on his presence within us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to be sure to share a time of uh, where we felt like stillness contributed to growth and transformation in our own lives. Again, because I think especially for us and where our society is today and how many distractions we have and how quick things move and happen and how, how much information we have access to, that stillness is just elusive. We're not good at it. You know, even though Mike and I have experienced growth through stillness, I think both of us would say that we are not good at being still. Oh, 100%. 
I, you know, I, I feel like a lot of what I do in life is trying to figure out how to do more things with less time. Mm. And so, you know, there at least needs to be some part of my life where I'm doing one thing and that's being present with myself, uh, and, and, and being honest about what it really matters to me. Because if I'm not living with purpose, I'm not doing a very good job of being a disciple, being a father, being a husband, all those things. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we also want to share periods of growth, uh, that we've experienced through pain and through love. Um, which again, I think is going to be easier for you to, to recall in your own life than stillness, right? Like when I thought about pain, I immediately thought about losing loved ones. Um, mm. you know, when I was growing up, uh, all four of my grandparents passed when I was very old enough to have a relationship with them, but very young. Mm. And then recently my dad's sister, who was really like a second mom to me also passed. She got a, a really not so great terminal brain tumor diagnosis, and it was kind of a drawn out illness. Uh, but she passed and I had tricked myself into thinking that because I had already experienced loss in my life, that I really didn't need to grieve, that I, I, I was processing, uh, losing her, which was really not, was really not the case at all. Mm -hmm. Really. I think what was happening is that I was closed off to the growth that always seems to spawn from grief. So instead of really processing what I was feeling and, and getting off my chest what I needed to get off my chest, I just bottled it up for a year. And I found what I'm sure many of you have found in the midst of losing a loved one. And it's that you can delay grief for a long time, but eventually it rises to the surface and presents itself in ways that you just can't avoid, whether it's anxiety or depression or uh, a lack of motivation to, to do things that used to excite you. Um, and so that's really what I experienced. And it wasn't until I got a mental health professional to help me work through some of that, that I found the growth that came from it. Um, but, you know, I am betting that seasons of pain are the top catalyst in most of our lives for growth. Uh, I would imagine so. And, and part of it is because you can't live uh, without some sort of loss. You can't love without some no, sort of pain. You, you can't do life here on this earth without experiencing things that feel unfair, things that you wish wouldn't happen, but they happen anyway, and you're left attempting to pick up the pieces, right. attempting to make sense of it all, and continue to live your life in a way that brings meaning and joy and happiness and purpose and fulfillment. And for your story, uh, I mean, because we most of us have gone through some sort of loss mm -hmm. of someone uh, that that really matters to us. It, it makes sense to sort of try to put that pain away because it is so close to home. It is so close to your heart, um, and and that pain sometimes can almost feel like like it's punishment or like it's um, th that it's almost possible to tear you apart. And so you want to put it away or run away from it. But, right. but there, that's the strange thing about pain is that even some of the most unfair uh, and difficult moments of pain in our lives can still have some sort of transformative power to them. Yeah. And, you know, when I think back on that and I, I really ask the question, well, what, what growth occurred? What changed? What kind of transformation did I experience? I, I think for me in that season, it was things like learning how to be an emotionally healthy person all over again. 
and also learning how to prioritize my own emotional health when mm-hmm. it when necessary, which I learned is an extremely valuable skill as a pastor, as mm-hmm. as someone who walks with people through painful seasons of life on a semi-regular basis. Yeah. So it ended up leading to to growth for me in my life and my ministry that I desperately needed. But I couldn't see that at the time. At the time I just wanted it to I just wanted the pain to go away. I mm-hmm. just wanted the grief to go away. Sure. Uh but what actually needed to happen was to stand in it um for months, right? And really really process what it was that I'd been bottling up and what kind of change it was going to lead to in my life. And I think that, too, grief can allow us to uh, change in our relationships with others because you aren't the only one grieving in that situation. Correct. Yeah, correct. And and it can and does bring you closer to other people who are grieving as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's one of the gifts of grief, even though, again, it's a difficult, painful process, is that it does have the ability to bring us together because we understand each other's hurts because mm. we're feeling it too. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, I, I don't want to talk about the the pain too much because, again, I think that is probably the most easily understood pathway to growth. Um, but Mike, Mike has a story to share about love, about how love in his life led to a season of growth. Yeah. And, and it's maybe a little bit, uh, cliche to talk about, but you know, when I think about when have I really just loved, uh, someone else and been willing to change who I am and how I operate or, or or at least to grow in who I am, um, I would say it's becoming a parent. Um, now obviously I did the same thing, meeting my wife and, um, you know, loving her and, uh, changing who I, uh, I, who I was and how I operated in a healthy way, not like adapting to her, but you know, of, of basically growing and becoming, uh, who I am, which she would probably say, you still have a long way to go, Mike, <laughs> you know, but you know, you know, when, when, uh, we had our first child, I was still, you know, fairly young. I was still, um, you know, uh, starting out in my, in my career, my vocation of ministry. I was a youth director at the time. And, you know, we had been married for about three years when my daughter was born in 2006. And I had been kind of excited about this day and, um, you know, looking forward to it. I don't think that I could have emotionally uh, or spiritually or even physically been prepared for what my life would be like after that day in February. But uh, I can tell you that, um, you know, loving her and wanting to take care of her allowed me to, I think, grow fairly rapidly into a level of comfort, taking care of her, and a a level of, you know, being willing to say no to other things in my life because I had a a reason to be there with her because I loved her. Um, You know, I, I was the first person to give her a bath and I was scared to death that even though, you know, the, the sink that we had at the, the house was not that deep. I just didn't want to drop her. And of course I didn't, uh, I was just scared to death of every little thing, but at the same time, I wanted to do my part and to learn and grow. I, you know, I was able to, uh, to do things that I'd never would have imagined doing for anyone else for her. And the same for my son, when he was born, you know, we, we worked together uh, Julia and myself, uh, as a couple to really make sure that our kids were taken care of. And, 
luckily we stopped at two. So it was still man to man. We didn't have to go into a zone defense for kids, <laughs> uh, but you know, we, we really did uh, a lot to take care of them. And, you know, sometimes I changed begrudgingly, but most of the time, you know, it was learning to say yes to my family, uh, learning to say yes to who I need to become and what I need to learn and, and, and deal with. And listen, I even, um, had to learn how to comb a girl's hair, uh, and, uh, to do it with just a few tears. I never really got good at picking outfits, uh, or, um, with doing like braids or anything like that. Uh, you know, thankfully Lena learned how to do it herself or Julie would step in, but you know, I want to, you know, center on this idea of learning to say no to things because, um, ministers, pastors, or even people who serve in churches usually like to be people pleasers. You know, we're in the service of others, right? Yeah. Yeah. Very true. And, you know, we want to make sure that other people are loved, taken care of, cared for. And for me, I had to learn to say no to things because I was a father. And at that moment, it was really important for me to, to be there and to change and to grow into who I needed to be for them. And one of the first things I, I thought of when we were talking about this, how much do you love uh, someone else in order to change or to grow? One of the hard things I remember, looking back, it wasn't that big of a deal. It was a no-brainer to make this call. But I had just started a new job in, uh, in 2007, um, and Lena was you know a year old, uh, when I started, um, this, this new job. And one of the first things that, uh, we were supposed to do is have a youth retreat that weekend. Well, it happened to be, like I said, Lena's first birthday, she was turning one. And the question was new job, first birthday. Again, no brainer. Which comes first. I wrestled with it. I wrestled with it because, you know, it was a job. It was paying the bills, it was paying the health insurance. You know, it was my vocation. But at the same time, it was easy to say, mm. y'all planned this before I came on board. Mm. I, I need to be here. I'll come by on Friday night. I'll come by on Sunday morning. But Saturday, I'm going to be where I need to be, and that's with my, my family. And learning how to say no to things reminds you that even though God calls you into moments to help other people, you cannot be everybody's help all the time. Man, one of my favorite stories in the Bible that I think represents that idea is the story of the Good Samaritan, right? Because mm-hmm. remember, the Samaritan stops and does what, what he can do. And then he realizes, okay, I need someone else's help taking care of this person. And he drops him at the end. And he goes on about his life, right? And, and he, he says he'll come back and cover the cost. He doesn't abandon them, mm-hmm. but he knows his limits. He knows when he can, when he can no longer offer what he needs to offer. And instead of overextending himself, he allows someone to come into the mix and, and allows for them to help. Yeah. Right. Which is what I hear you saying, right? Learning boundaries, learning boundaries and, and learning that you're never alone. There are always other people who can step into a moment and, and assist. Uh, the world does not ride on your shoulders. You know, we are a community. And I think that's really important to learn. And, and, and knowing that if you give 130% all the time, you, you're not going to have anything when you get home. Mm. It's gonna, you are just going to be wiped out all the time. Mm. And, and, you know, you um, doing everything is robbing others from doing their part. And that, that was another 
you know, awakening for me was that by me doing everything or me doing uh, all the little things and not empowering others and delegating to others, sometimes delegation feels like, well, why am I going to bother somebody else with this little task that I can do in like 30 minutes? But, you know, we're actually empowering people when we share the ministry, when we share the opportunities uh, to not only allow people to do what they've been called to do, Mm. but also sometimes to mentor people. Mm. Uh, to step in so that they can be there after you're gone. Stillness, pain, and love, three ways that we experience growth. You know, I think when we look back on and just reflect on those three things, it seems to me that pain and love usually just happen to you, that you don't have a ton of control over when that catalyst is going to come into your life. I mean, you know, I I guess when you become a parent or when you enter in a new season of life like that, you expect an overwhelming sense of love to change who you are, but it still, it still lacks control. And pain is certainly like that. Seasons of pain come unexpected and usually at the least opportune times. Stillness, on the other hand, is not necessarily like that. We, We can create space for stillness in our lives. It's, it's almost a pathway to growth that we have a bit more control over, at least opening ourselves up to growth through stillness. I think with, with all three, as you've mentioned, um, you know, two relatively happen to us more so than we choose them. And stillness, yes, we have to really choose to make time for it. Uh, but, but ultimately, I think that each and every one that you've brought up is, is requiring some sort of choice to enter into it mm. and to be receptive that, you know, at this moment, I'm going to embrace the stillness. At this moment, I'm going right. to I'm going to embrace the pain, which again sounds counterintuitive. Embrace the pain, allow myself to step into this, and to allow it to produce something good uh, in me and and maybe around me. And then the same thing with love: to be receptive to it, allow that love to change you, to not fight against it, which. Even when you're changing for love, there are some things you want to keep for yourself, right? Mm-hmm. But really sort of allowing the wave to carry you farther than you ever could by your own uh, choosing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it is something that happens to us, but it's also a choice we have to make to be intentional to grow. So, Mike, you know, we've spent the last two episodes, if you include this one, right? First one, we just, you know, and, and I think it was necessary, but we spent most of our time, how I would phrase it, is up in the clouds, right? Talking about yeah. growth, talking about kind of like a theory of growth and, and what even is growth and defining it in different pathways. And then, you know, today we've been sharing experiences from our own lives that lead to growth. But if I was listening to this, I would say, okay, that's all great. But where do I start? Where where do I actually start with my life, uh, and and how can I begin to cultivate uh, seasons of growth in my life? So you're saying we need to get practical. Where does the rubber hit the road here? Yeah, you know, I mean, I feel like we could keep going on and on and on, like like we have been, but eventually, I think we need to make a turn to where we begin to get a bit more practical and, and start moving forward uh, with, with this idea of growing deeper. Yeah. Let's do it. Next week, we're going to get practical and we're going to start thinking about what growth can actually look like. For you, not just for us, not just looking in the past, but looking into the future. What, what can it look like for us to, to internalize this information and then begin to live our lives in such a way 
that we open ourselves up uh, to new ideas, new expressions of God, and ultimately uh, become a people that are being transformed and, uh, and are growing. Sounds like a plan. All right. Well, thank you all for listening to us. Uh, We're glad you're here, and we hope you join, hope you join us next week on Grow Deeper.